Hello and welcome to season two of Creative Rituals with me, artist and illustrator Georgie Stewart. This is a podcast about the daily habits of artistic life. Each week I'll be asking writers, artists, musicians and all kinds of creatives about how exactly they get down to it and make great work. How do artists plan their day to generate and protect their creativity? It's lovely to be back and I've got some wonderful guests lined up for this season, including some of my all-time favourite artists and children's illustrators, which leads me very nicely onto my first guest for season two, Sasha Compton. Sasha is a British artist and designer who explores the natural world through her beautiful handmade creations, all of which are crafted by Sasha in her London studio. Known for her bold, joyful use of colour and fondness for an uplifting quote, Sasha's work seeks to romanticise the everyday. Her artworks often draw references from the classical world, such as motifs from Greek mythology and architectural details. We met by chance for the first time a couple of months ago, and I knew I'd love to have a proper in-depth chat with her all about her creative process, where she finds inspiration, and the nitty-gritty details of studio life. Hello! Hi Sasha! How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much for agreeing to chat with me today. Not at all. Um, I've never actually done a podcast, but I just thought it must be a bit like an interview, so... And also creative topics, which I love. So, yeah, <laughs> thank you for having me. No, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to hearing more about your practice. Because um, yeah, I guess the last well, we met for the first time a couple of months ago when we were both in the group exhibition at the gallery at Green and Stone, and our works were <laughs> placed next to each other. But it was actually just really sort of strange recognizing you because I. I follow you and I love your work and then when you kind of know someone in that capacity and then seeing them in real life it's it's just quite surreal but my mum and I actually ended up buying one of your pieces for my cousin because she loved it so much it's the the plate with the moon on oh that's one of my favorites the one that says the moon that we share is a happy moon yeah oh I love that that's so sweet thank you yeah she's got it up in her bathroom now it's really good it's, it's weird as well because after meeting you, I was admiring how our blue blue and white artworks looked really good together next to each other. And then I was looking at your work on Instagram and I recognise it. I already I already seen your work before. Oh, that's funny. But I recognise your work, not you. So it's often I feel like you, I know people's name by work as opposed to face, which is a thing in the creative industry. Yeah, that's so true. And you've just um, you've just got back from a weekend in Venice. How how was the trip? Just unreal. So beautiful. Um, I think it's just one of the most inspiring places ever. And I hadn't been for ages. So being back and seeing all of the murky green canals and the misty views. Um, yeah, it was really really inspiring. I'm working on an illustration at the moment for Save Venice and the National Gallery so it was really good (laughs) it wasn't actually a research project kind of trip at all but it just worked really well um 
that I could tie in my family holiday with that project. Yeah, I saw that you shared that you were doing that project uh, in Venice. Um, I can't remember what, what um, organisation it is, but it's like a Venice one and National Gallery. And I was like, wow, that's just like the dream commission. Um, but I kind of was going to ask you, what what are those dream projects for you when they come in, the really exciting ones? Is there a common thread that ties them together for you? Well, not really. I feel like there's... Um... Firstly, I feel like I've been really lucky <laughs> where I've had a couple of projects where I just don't know how that's happened. And then I'd say often when a project comes in, there's like 70% chance it won't actually happen, I find, where I've, someone's emailing about an inquiry for a bespoke wall painting or whatever it might be. There's a huge chance that it never works out. Um, so I try not to get my hopes up, but secretly deep down, every time something like that comes in from interior designer or for an event with a brand I really like, like John Soames Museum, then I'm always like, oh my God. <laughs> so yeah, I think if it's in line with my, the things I love, like kind of contemporary classical themes or funky colours or an amazing space, then those are my dream projects. So that's often interior designers or like, yeah, I'm trying to think. I haven't had loads, but from the ones I can think of, it's been interior design ones where I thought I'd love to do that. Yeah, definitely. I so relate to what you're just saying because it's the same for me because um, because I'm an illustrator and my job's kind of come through my agent. So I got the email through saying that, oh, we've had an inquiry. Would you like to do this? And in the other days, I would get so upset <laughs> because most of them, as you say, don't actually end up happening. So I kind of had to learn for it to be like water off a duck's back. But there are the occasional ones that still come through. Like I had one a couple of weeks ago to, to go to Barcelona and paint a live mural wow. for four days. And I was like, it's, <laughs> now I haven't heard back from it. But, you know, and you're just like still waiting to hear whether it's going ahead and you're just like I can't really not put my hopes on this because that's like my dream project yeah yeah I think that's exactly the thing and then you start looking at museums in Barcelona to visit like nice cafes and then two weeks later and they've ghosted you so <laughs> yeah it's full-on ghosting <laughs> um sure but when you were in Venice I kind of noticed that you were sharing a lot of details on your stories like architectural details and interiors and there are such clear parallels actually between that and your work you can really see the references how important is travel for you as inspiration and what other places do you feel have a strong affiliation with your work oh that's um that's so nice to hear that you could see that on my instagram um i always find it a bit scary on Instagram of knowing how much personal things you should put up and how much work related things. So I always get quite nervous posting holiday trips, but if I think there is a link to my work, then I do post photos. Um, but yeah, I think anywhere that's got a lot of contemporary, a contemporary take on classical architecture, I love. So whether it's a lot of UK houses and places like Dennis Severs Museum, for instance, I absolutely love because it was a museum that was um, lived in by Simon Pettit and Dennis Severs, but in an old fashioned way of life, even though 
Simon Pettit was a huge fan of Keith Haring. And so there's, I don't know, I think it's more a, a perspective that I like, that I find intriguing of a contemporary take on old subjects and places. Um, I'm trying to think which other places it's not. Travel is a huge impact. It's a huge reference for me. But I think you can travel a lot in the UK as well to see and get the inspiration like the Dennis Severs or old Spitalfields houses or Charles Dickens pubs. Um, yeah, I feel like I'm waffling now. <laughs> no, you're definitely not. I was thinking as well, you shared recently about Scotland and stuff. Yeah. You, you spent time in Scotland and there's a lot of references to that and the sort of nature forms in your work as well. Yeah, I think it's important not to kind of pigeonhole your, for I find anyway, not to kind of think, okay, well, I'm only inspired by classical buildings. So just to kind of, for me, I love just being inspired by life. I know that sounds cringe and YOLO. <laughs> not at all. But I think just kind of trying to see the beauty in little everyday things. So you don't need to have the funds to go and travel because it's expensive and if you're relying on that as your inspiration then that's going to be quite tricky <laughs> as an artist I think anyway unless you're Tracy Emin and Damien Hurst <laughs> but um, yeah I think nature a lot of what feels like me or what I can relate to then I tend to be drawn to take a photo and then work from the photo later um but how do you how do you find it when you're traveling or where do you get your inspiration from? Well, we did like a, a big travel trip in 2022. So that's a year and a half ago. Now we went, we've got a van and we and we decided to leave London and we went traveling. Me and my boyfriend, he quit his job. And then we went traveling around Europe for five months Um and I was drawing all the time on that trip because I knew I wanted to do an exhibition about it when I came back. So, and like having my sketchbooks, it was obviously very it was difficult to work big scale. So I was mainly working in my sketchbook. And then I did an artist residency and did a few bigger pieces there that I put in a big portfolio to bring back. But having that sketchbook now to kind of look back through, like a travel sketchbook, I honestly couldn't recommend it more because it's different to photographs, I think. I think it kind of just like does take you back to that place and your the colours that you see and the, that you feel. Um, whereas a, I think a photograph is quite one dimensional, whereas your drawings are, yeah, not <laughs> I can't think of the word, not one dimensional. Um, just yeah, they they take you back to that place and your your experience of it. That's so interesting. Um, what do you so do you take a set? kind of pencil case of materials every time or do you change up so my favorite one for when I'm out of battle this Karen Dash uh wax pastel you know the like crayon type things they do really good watercolor pencils wow. yeah but because when you're because you know sometimes when you're traveling and like getting your paints out is a bit of a palaver and you have to go and get water and keep cleaning your brushes and you might not have a sink so the crayons they make and they make zero mess and that I, that was mainly what I would use in um, my sketch but when I'm out of about but like you I I also take a lot of pictures and and bring them back here and then when I'm in my studio I love working with paint. I think 
I find that really helpful too, because sometimes in the moment, I don't really know what I want to do with the photo. And then it might be two months later that it could be, I don't know, like a print for something, or it could be on a plate, or it could be on a canvas. Like you don't, sometimes I find it, I don't know about you, but I don't really know what, I like the thing, the object, the subject, but I don't know what to do with it at the time. <laughs> so or a very quick sketch helps just to document it. Yeah, I love that. Um, so please could you describe your studio setup for me visually? What kind of things are in the room? What do you see looking out the window? What does the building look like from the outside? Yeah, what does it look like? Sure. It's um so it's near Waterloo in central London, and it's you go up a really scarily steep set of staircases um staircase staircase stairs <laughs> sorry I'm dyslexic so I always get my words mixed up um you go up a steep staircase um to the top of the stairs and then there are about 80 little studios in multicolored container boxes and it's owned by the railway Waterloo railway so they're right next to the railway which I quite like because then you can hear the railway noises going past <laughs> um and my studio looks at the other coloured blocks and my one is a teal green container box and they're all multicoloured. Um, and then there are loads of different artists in there from jewellery designers to stylists to props to stage um, puppets to all sorts. Um, and in my studio, you walk in and I've got a print press on top of some artist drawers on my right. And then I've got a kind of section where I keep all my hand-painted lamp lampshades in case I get an order. Um, and then to my left, I've got a little bookcase and a mirror. Um, and the bookcase has got all my reference books like Matisse and Charleston and loads of them, um, my kind of go-to visual um, books that I love reading. And then I've got my shelving where I have um, all of my ceramics tools and paints um, and then a little cupboard on the opposite side of the room <laughs> that's got um, a few plates I painted and made hanging above it and a pin board with all of my inspiration that is just constantly changing and I'm always repinning. And then a mini kiln that I took about three years to save up and buy and it's changed my whole career. <laughs> And then a desk that looks, that is by the window. Um, so I have natural light. So it's it's a really small studio in terms of the space, but it's got everything in there that I need. And it's in central London and with a creative community. So for me, it's perfect. Um, and I feel really, really happy to cycle in each day. Oh, that's so nice that you can cycle in, yeah. It sounds so lovely. And do you think having it um, as a sort of in a communal space, how, what impact does that have on your practice? Do you see the other artists often and talk about your work or is it more just kind of like you say hello and then you take yourself off to the studio? Um, it depends on the day. Like some most days it's probably the latter because lots of other artists are in and out and some people use those studios um, after work, so at different hours. But 
I've probably got like three friends <laughs> there that I will go for lunch with or will pop into their studio or make a cup of coffee. Um, but it just, for me, it made a huge difference actually having a space because before I was painting on a kitchen table um, and I think knowing that it is your professional career by having a kind of workplace made a huge difference for me. What do you, do you have a studio? What's your... Um, yes, I do. I'm actually in my studio right now. It's my first studio because, um, well, when we got back from our trip, my partner and I moved to Devon. And yes, the, the literally the only the only house that was available was this cottage and it had a little garden shed that I've made into a studio. Um, but it's quite messy right now. I've got to have surfboards and stuff in, but um, I've kind of done it up. It's taken a long time. <laughs> um it was horrible before honestly but yeah I've got all my stuff um all my looks the same kind of size as mine to be honest yeah it's honestly perfect in terms of um yeah it is the perfect size but I found it so helpful for my practice in terms of I, I don't know when I would work in the house there's no separation between work and relaxing and when I'm in here I actually I don't scroll on my phone or anything and I, I get rarely take my phone in here and it's just my little my little mess <laughs> which I get sucked away and I I can't imagine not having a studio now um I'd find it very hard I think I think especially thinking back to lockdown when I was at my mum's house alone and I just didn't have any kind of storage system and there'd be just like pieces of paper everywhere um and yeah it's just it feels a lot more ordered having a studio now yeah, I think um, in lockdown, when my now husband, but when my boyfriend at the time was having his Zoom meetings and I was doing lino prints on the table and his whole screen was shaking in all of his meetings for his company, I think that was a moment where he was just like, Look, you, you've got to, you can't be in here when I'm doing <laughs> those meetings, was a, a push. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it makes such a difference. And how many days a week are you in there working in your studio? Probably say maybe four days. Um, I do a bit of, I I'm, I'm, don't do full days in there because my internet is really bad in my studio because um, there's so many artists. So I tend to do like emails and admin at home and then cycle in. So like three quarters of a day or half a day in. And I try I try and go in each day. And if there's if I can't and it's just loads of admin or digital sketches or something, then I'll just spend the whole day at home and go in the other days. <laughs> and do you have any little things that you do to get yourself in the right headspace before you start creative work? So I don't know, something that you listen to while you're working, maybe it's something you wear, something you eat or drink, any kind of studio rituals that make you think okay I'm ready to start my work I'm in artist mode now um not not really I don't know I mean that's a really boring sorry that's a really boring answer um, <laughs> I'd love to say that I'm playing funky music really and it's super creative but I think yeah like not really I'll tend to if I'm quite nervous about starting I'll tend to just go for it on a scrap piece of paper first before painting onto a plate and then once I'm in the flow, I can't really stop. <laughs> so it's that, that kind of, um, I find it's better just to get going 
because otherwise the longer I think the more it doesn't turn out how I want yeah and so do you work in silence then oh no um I'll play the I've got the radio on the whole time I hate silence I can't do silence (laughs) radio on and I'll often yeah sometimes have the candle that I like just to kind of chill um and there's always the sound of the trains going in the background. <laughs> oh, that's quite soothing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think the si- silence is a real... It's deafening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you, if you listen to music when, you, when you're painting. So I find for the initial stages, I can't listen to anything. Like when I'm... When I, I have to know what I'm doing, if you know what I mean. I have to be on autopilot when I put musical I love listening to podcasts and again I think that's kind of part of my sort of like making a cocoon thing and just that soothing sound in the background but when I'm figuring out what it is I'm going to draw or getting my sort of palette ready or colors or yeah getting ready I have I have to be in silence (laughs) but then as soon as I go to the second mode then I'm like okay now I can can put my music on (laughs) it's it's interesting because every creative works differently so I, I find it really, yeah, inspiring and fascinating how other artists work. Because the, the person in the studio next door to me seems to only like Kerrang music. They're like really intense rock music. <laughs> no, I couldn't work to that. I have to have it very chill, very mellow. I actually find that, weirdly, I think I paint, I do paint better when I, I have like a classical pay- playlist that I put on and I think... My work is always better when I listen to that, which is interesting. But because I guess it maybe just loosens me up more. Mm. Yeah, I think there's a strong relationship between the more relaxed you are and the less you care about the outcome, the better the work will be. I find if I'm trying really hard, it's more frustrating when it doesn't work out. <laughs> oh, it's so true. I think I I also constantly have to just have a voice in my head telling me like just carry on drawing don't don't overthink it don't overthink it as soon as you start overthinking it then I think if you sort of put pressure on yourself then the work suffers but if you just kind of try your best to relax then I don't know I think um the the um Liverpool that amazing um was it Scott landscape artist of the year yes that must have been so much pressure I saw that oh yes so I mean I actually uh, messed that up I put that out and I think I'm actually in the one next week I didn't realize they do a couple of episodes in Liverpool um but yeah I was so nervous beforehand because I obviously knew they were going to be filming me draw which is just so much pressure because I mean I don't I don't like anyone watching me draw even if I'm with my boyfriend or my friends and I just find it horrible it's almost like I have this fear that people go find out that I can't really draw something like that's really strange um but I did end up liking my piece for that and that was my only goal was to make something that I was happy with so I was happy nice it looked really good from the photos that I saw you posted oh thank you yeah because the, the pink sky was actually just meant to be like a underlayer, and I was going to do like blue pastel on top of it but then you know when you just quite like something you're like I could just ruin this now so I'm actually just going <laughs> to just going to leave it as it is yeah. and it's that thing of knowing when to stop of like sometimes if you if it doesn't need more 
it's quite good just to leave it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and that's, I mean, I've done that so many times for you. And I mean, one, one mark is fatal, and then you're just like, I just ruined that. <laughs> so. I found it interesting that um, that with that TV with the with the concept for that that everybody's got the same topic, but all the artist work is so different of everybody seeing it in a different way and having a different perspective it's really it's really therapeutic to watch it's such a lovely program to watch I genuinely think it's like one of the only nice programs there are left to watch where you feel really afterwards you feel really good it's not stressful to watch doesn't rot your brain it's very uplifting and like you say I think yeah therapeutic to watch and and every piece is so different um, I just love that program so much. Kate Byron. <laughs> did I say her name right? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, oh, Kate Byron, yeah. Oh, she's, yeah, I was really starstruck seeing her. She's, like, amazing. <laughs> um, and Stephen Mangan as well. He's he's actually, he's really nice in real life, which is nice. I have a huge girl crush on her for what she's done for the art world and emerging artists. Like, I really think she's, as a female um, supporter she's just been amazing yeah totally because she doesn't she's like director of art at Soho House is she I don't I don't know if she's left that position or or if she still is but she definitely was when Soho House was starting up and um becoming a big deal <laughs> I think I really don't know if she's fled the ship and gone on to bigger and newer things or not but I think she definitely was for years and years and years um I don't know what her what she does now maybe she is still wow okay um so there are many strands that form your artistic practice you paint you draw you also work with ceramics a lot how do you balance your creative energy between these different elements is it one day for painting one day for ceramics or are you kind of juggling working on multiple things at once um I'd say yeah it's a, it's a good question because I think those when I don't know what I'm, when I'm feeling unproductive in the studio, um, it's often because I've, I know I've got lots of stuff to do and I don't know where to start. <laughs> so that kind of, when I was saying earlier about just starting something is in relation to which to which um, medium should I work with today. And often for me, it's based on the deadlines I've got coming up or what is most pressing. And then working back from that of if I don't have any deadlines then it's purely a what do I feel inspired to do um but all of those practices actually inform each other and they're all interlinked where often my sketches might I might make into a digital print or I might put them onto a ceramic plate or um yeah I mean they're all kind of I use them all in different ways so um uh, yeah they are they are all linked and it's just a case of figuring out which I need to work on for my timeline <laughs> yeah and do you have a favorite between them to work on um I'm really into the ceramics at the moment just because I feel like I'm learning so much um it's such an area that has so many challenges that every time I open the kiln I have no idea how the artwork is going to turn out I genuinely do, don't know <laughs> how it's going to look if it's going to be in one piece um some days I open the kiln and I think oh wow I love it other days I've got a bird that's exploded in a million pieces 
So yeah, the ceramics I'm loving because it feels new and challenging. Um, whereas painting and illustration is my background. So I've been doing it for so long that it's just nice to have a challenge. <laughs> yeah. It takes so much more time. So it's also one of those things where if a, someone reaches out for a commission or something um, bespoke, it's there's so many processes of making the clay, waiting for it to dry, firing it once, then painting it, then firing it again, um, as opposed to doing one of my illustrations where I, it could be done in a few hours. So it's a very different process for me. <laughs> yeah. And I, I was just going to say that I remember something, Deborah, who was the first person I ever interviewed for this podcast. She lives in Devon, but and she's a painter and a ceramicist, but she was saying that her work in ceramics has taught her so much about not being precious about your work because, as you say, you could open up the kiln and, and your, whole, your whole collection could be blown up. Um, which I think is quite an important lesson to learn, I guess, to not to not be so yeah, not be so precious about it sometimes. Yeah. And then all that all that time is gone and you've got to factor in all of that when pricing works because it's all part of the process. Um sorry, did you hear my cat? <laughs> I know. Um so yeah. Yeah, I've forgotten what I'm saying. The cat interrupted. <laughs> So you have your cat there in the, in the studio with you. That's so lovely. I'm I'm at home today because of the internet. Oh right, yeah. but um, just because the internet's so bad in my studio. So we got a kitten uh, over Christmas. So I've got my got my cat here. <laughs> What's her name? She's called Yuzi. I'll see if I'll get her. I don't know if you can see. I don't know. Okay, she's lying down. <laughs> don't worry. So with your ceramics, with that being like a, mu a new medium for you how did you build up your skill set in that did you take a course is there someone you learned from or you self-taught yeah how, how did you kind of build up your knowledge in that medium um with ceramics I've always had a love for it um I remember using it in my A-level at school so I did ceramics as part of my art A-level and I learned a lot then and then I kind of forgot about it for ages. Um, and it was in lockdown that I started just needing um, something to do and just remembered loads of the skills and started off with glazing. And then since coming back to London from Amsterdam, I started doing more hand building um, and I went to a few classes in Amsterdam as well. And then it's kind of all just came back. <laughs> so um, it is it is a new thing, but it's also new because it's so old, if that makes sense. Yeah. And what colour palettes do you find yourself most drawn to? I love, um, I love blue. Blue and green are just kind of natural but bold colours, if that makes sense. Kind of. Something like if I'm on a walk in the Highlands or in the west coast of Scotland where I partially grew up, then I find those colours so inspiring of kind of heathery hills, mossy greens, like bright blue sky. That Those are, those are my colours. <laughs> I do love pink and red too. Um, 
but yeah yeah <laughs> I think pink pink and red together such a nice combo yeah um, so how do you find working as an artist in London what are the biggest challenges of that and on the flip side what are the great things about being an artist in London I think I mean a being in London is just incredible you've got so much culture on your doorstep it's the real heartbeat and buzz of the art world I think if I'm that's my opinion um so I think to be able to be an artist in London is so special and that kind of network it's so good when it's the season of private views and you can meet loads of like meeting you at Green and Stone and I mean you don't have that in Amsterdam and you don't have that in other cities so that alone is a gift <laughs> um the difficulties I would say it London's so expensive and if you're freelance or you're you don't have a regular um salary that can be quite scary I find anyway of even if it might look like you're doing well on Instagram you have lots of followers but they don't that doesn't translate into a regular paycheck um and some of the events that you have to go to might be quite expensive <laughs> so yeah I think that's the the hard the things I find challenging and the fact it's so big like suddenly you might have to cycle from one event in East London to another one in West and it's like an hour's journey that I personally wouldn't do in Yorkshire where I grew up or Scotland <laughs> no it's actually such a shock to the system now when we go back because well I, I mean I work from home in my studio anyway so it doesn't really affect me too much I mean I I wouldn't I don't think I'd have been able to afford a studio in London but for Ted, he not, his office is now a three-minute walk from our house. So when we go to London and when it takes an hour to get everywhere, it's like, oh, my God, it's, it's just so much, isn't it? Um, but equally, I so agree. I think, like, culture-wise, you know, there's there's not many exhibitions I can go to here. So it's nice to kind of soap all that up when, when I do go to London. How, how often do you go to London? Um, I go maybe once every two months I'd say um or more like so for example when I'm in a group exhibition or I'll try and kind of like pack a few things together now when I'm going um and it's a good place for me to meet my mum because she's from up north so we kind of meet in the middle there um and we'll go to an exhibition and we'll go for like a girly lunch and stuff so I think it's like it's kind of learning like what I want to say yes to going for because I've really tried to kind of get better at that in the last year my yeses and I and my nose and not just saying yes to something that I actually do do want to make a four-hour trip to go to yeah. I'm I'm the same I can't say no and then I end up just being exhausted and I wonder why <laughs> but um that sounds like a lovely balance things and yeah it's nice because now I kind of think it's now a treat for me to go, if that makes sense. Whereas I think, as you were saying, salary-wise, it's it's very difficult being an artist in London because, um, I mean, I, like especially because I think you like you're probably a lot further on than your practice than I am, I guess. But um, <laughs> I think in London I found it quite difficult sometimes because I think I was earning a lot less than all my friends who are in like a more pr- traditional job, maybe in finance or, um 
marketing or stuff and who'd been on that ladder whereas I think as an artist it takes you a very long time to even be able to kind of afford a living and I genuinely think only since I've moved here really I can actually afford to live and work as an artist. Yeah I I can definitely relate to that and I think um, I think that's really really valid point and I mean I feel super lucky because my husband bought a flat when we were in Amsterdam so I don't have to pay rent in London and I know that apart from my studio rent which is quite a good deal I think for London but it's still London studio prices um, which is quite scary having those consistent outgoings but the fact I don't have my own flat rent means that I can just that's one less pressure and I know that if I did, I 100% wouldn't be, I wouldn't be doing this full time. I'd be doing it on the side because it, I don't think it's possible <laughs> for my level anyway. But. Yeah, that's so, it's so interesting. I think it's actually really good to talk about these things and be open about them. Because as you say, you might just follow someone and think like, oh, they've got it so together. They <laughs> probably earning like millions of pounds and it's like actually as an artist the reality is often a lot different to that I mean there ha- I do know some artists who I think are earning this the same as me like this normal for like certain artists that's got 10 years experience or something and then I speak to them and they're earning like three times the amount and for me that's really encouraging where it's like amazing there is there is hope <laughs> good for you yeah kind of um inspiring thing where not everyone is I don't I don't know yeah I mean it's all part of the journey and I still think about it when I have when I speak to my friends who are CEOs at bank banks or whatever a lot of them don't like their jobs or they don't see their kids or they get back really late and they're and I think about how I often work on a weekend and I love it and yes there are stressful moments with taking on too too much work and worrying about deadlines or when people will pay my invoice but apart from that I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world I think doing something that you'd be happy to do for free is the right career path to try and then it then means that you love it so yeah, I mean, obviously, don't do it for free, <laughs> but um, but yeah, that kind of mentality, I think, is it's just different if you love your love what you do. No, I a hundred percent agree with all that. I'm smiling a lot because yeah, no, I just I completely agree. Um, the chasing for invoices thing is quite annoying <laughs> when you have to do that. And you're like, uh that that does just annoy me because you know any of my other friends wouldn't have to ask their boss please can you pay me and it's just I think it's just very rude and disrespectful when you've especially for me it's like I've poured so much I know I'm getting paid for it and it's my job but I've poured so much time and love into this and I'm kind of waiting to hear if, if you like it or not and then for you just to kind of ghost me it's just like oh god it's so degrading <laughs> yeah yeah and often I think when people are replying on weekends and um like not replying at all and then suddenly at like 11 o'clock on a Monday night I don't know I think that some people view artists in a way that it's it's not that you can contact them at all hours or they don't need a payment ASAP or that they're 
more flexible with their career and their life so they can fit around you, which, I mean, I wouldn't send an email at 11 p.m. if I worked at a bank to a client. So I don't really, I don't know where I'm going with this analogy. <laughs> no, I no, no, I completely agree. I think it's also because if people follow you and stuff, they maybe think because it's your passion, you're like happy to do it at all times. And although, you know, we both absolutely love what we do, though, I think that there also has to be a line between like, it is also my job and I do have working hours. And as you say, I'm not reachable. Um, all the time but I think yeah the the invoicing I mean it's much better now since I since I got an agent and they kind of deal with all kind of invoicing people and the finance side of things and that's just honestly taken such a load off me because I would find it really stressful in terms of also pricing my work and stuff like when you I think that's so great what you were saying before about how when you meet people and even if they're earning three times more than you that you know, rather than a negative reaction to be jealous or whatever, you that makes you really happy. And I think that's really admirable and inspiring that you would have that reaction because A, I guess it's something to aim for, but B, it gives you an idea of what other artists can and are actually charging their work for. Because when you are working for yourself, it is a bit kind of like fumbling around in the dark sometimes when you're thinking, what, what should I price this at? Yeah, well, I, I, yeah, totally. I I just think that the more to see that people are willing to spend more on art in general, it's just a huge, it's a progressive step. And the more people that are earning more, the higher everybody can put their wages up and the more the art world can be recognised as a career and not a hobby. Um, which I know, you know, some artists very much are recognised in that way, but I think huge percentage of people who sell on Etsy or smaller market spaces are kind of bringing down the level of art that sh how art should be seen um, from the hobby element. And I think as artists as well, where I find at least that there's a pressure of um, teaching our craft to hobby people who want to learn for a hobby, just because then we can. Um, get paid for classes or, which I think is is all I don't know I could just question is that a good thing to do or is it actually detrimental to the craft um but yeah I think it's again I don't know where I'm going with this one <laughs> no I think that's I, that's super interesting I hadn't really I hadn't really thought about it like that before I guess I was talking to my friend Manon and she um she makes more kind of 3d sculptures from sheets of silicone and she was saying that you know we were talking about how instagram now only really promotes reels and stuff and rather than still images of your work which is obviously just a nightmare as an illustrator or an artist but um she was saying that she doesn't she, she although her reels will do really well of her like pouring in all the process she's like it's actually you know letting other people know my kind of it's, that's my private practice all this and then you get more and more people sort of replicating and um copying copying basically um and as you say maybe maybe like sharing is great but it, it can also be detrimental but then but then also sharing sharing your love of your craft can feel amazing so I don't really know where I stand with that I'm probably somewhere in the middle because I I love running workshops but I just remember that you you did did you do a workshop at Greenstone was it last night last night yeah <laughs> yeah how did that go of, um, of workshops 
Um, yeah, it went great. I loved it. It was really, 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 um, really good fun. And the club, like all of the students and the class was, everybody got stuck in and it was very experimental. Um, but I think what I've decided to do now with workshops is not necessarily teach my approach to making, but do a bit of how the options of how you could make something. So then you're seeing people really put their own personality into the artwork as opposed to just copying the teacher. So I think for me that then saves any um, annoyance of giving away my seven years of training and art school and everything <laughs> it, for free. And you're sort of building your, all that seven years of building your own unique artistic identity. Um which I think, which needs protecting, I guess. Yeah, I mean, as as you said, there's such an element of, it is such a joy to see people enjoying and learning and having fun and we feel very proud. Um, and then there's also that element of protection too. So it's, yeah, it's a mixed feelings process, but I should teach because it helps you to talk about your work publicly as well. Yeah, I think often as well, like when I first started doing workshops, I would think, oh, what am I going to say? Like, I don't know how I do anything, I just do it. But then once you actually do start breaking it down into sort of bite-sized chunks, you kind of realise that there actually is a method to what you do. And it's just all the things you've learned over the years that have kind of gone into your brain. And you have to, you have to kind of like go back to that first stage of learning, which now kind of just feels second nature to you as an artist. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was so funny, actually, because when we met, I knew, oh, I'd, I'd really like to invite Sasha on the podcast. But then the day I messaged you, you then shared a picture of your mood board, which you mentioned earlier, and you kind of had all the details about all the things on there. Um, and I thought, yeah, Sasha's the perfect person to come on the podcast. That kind of detailed interest in the creative process. So... Is that kind of the starting point for all of your projects, having a look at your mood board, researching and collecting images? Yeah, definitely. I th I'd say as a person, I'm super emotive of, I really feel. Um, and so for me, it helps to kind of have the visual stimulation of seeing pictures that I've taken recently or postcards from my mum or my friends. Um, cutouts from magazines that I find picture inspiring little sketches and just to put it all out there and see what's working and then if I start drawing because it's fresh in my mind something will come out and then I know it's really from me and I haven't just copied someone else's work and I haven't thought okay I'm gonna suddenly do a Luke Edward Hall I don't know like which often some people do say my work's quite similar to his, but I know that I've just got a different, it's part of me, that classical approach, um, because my mum restored antiques. So I was brought up with loads of classical art around me. Um, but that's just an example. I think having a starting point, whether it's pictures, mood boards, sketches, is, is hugely helpful, <laughs> I find anyway. Yeah. And can you remember any of the things specifically that are on your mood board right now? Yeah. At the moment, I've got um, I have got 
some postcards from the V&A Dundee exhibition on Tartan um, because I love the Hebride Islands and in particular, particular the Isle of Mar where I went to school when I was younger. Um, so I'm really drawn to like tartans and fish and shells and the ocean from that those childhood memories. Then there's also lots of classical references. Robert Adam, one of my favorite interior decorators from um yeah from from a while ago and Georgian architecture. Um and then I also just love kind of sketchy scruffy drawings so some of David Hockney and Matisse's works I have postcards of them and photos of me and my husband walking in the Welsh Brecon Beacons um so yeah there's a, and also projects I've been working on I often take little snippets and put them up as a reminder so I've got um postcard from and objects where I did a window mural um recently and that inspires me because sometimes if I'm doubting myself I'll see well I did that and that was a big thing so I know I can do this next one or those colours really worked maybe I'll use them on a different subject um so yeah it's a real eclectic mix <laughs> you know I love hearing all about it as you say like, I just love hearing about other artists process and something that detailed just yeah I love <laughs> I love hearing about it um so where do you go for your inspiration when you need it the most, when you're in a rut? What's your kind of go-to for that? Well, I feel like that's a really topical uh, question <laughs> because at the beginning of January, I was just finding everything so unmotivating. Um, and I think it's because I had COVID over Christmas, so I still had a bit of the brain fog. Um, I shouldn't have done COVID tests, but I was just intrigued. <laughs> and um I just couldn't create in my studio. So the one thing, now now I'm back in the rhythm, but just feeling like I was needed really helped. So when I had some inquiries from interior designers about um, upcoming projects, that made me feel like, okay, this is actually what I do and come on, snap out of it. <laughs> but that also paired with just finding it from within. So just deciding I can't, create in the studio right now so I need to just be present in real life and go for a walk or go to some museums have fun with friends and as soon as I had all of that enjoyment back and I wasn't feeling brain foggy it all started to unravel and I just spent like two days of continuously sketching and did so much more work that than I'd done in like the whole of last January so it was like three weeks of nothing and then one week of just loads <laughs> so it's fun and work I don't know if other artists are like that I think I, th I was just going to say I think stepping out just is so important and like I don't know I kind of forget to factor that into my work time sometimes I think oh I should be working all day but actually if you're not out if you don't take a step into the second step away I think you do kind of lose that inspiration um so that's really interesting though what you're saying about how you know actually the the projects and the deadlines give you gave you that oomph and you were feeling more inspired because I guess I was going to ask like do you do you feel more inspired working on a project that's commissioned by someone or by some or just where your curiosity is taking you more of a personal project 
yeah i think i think um i think knowing that someone is depending on you <laughs> means you don't you can't really you can't not do it <laughs> so there's an element of even if you don't feel like doing it you you've got to do it and i think for me that's really inspiring because it's um it's just that extra push that makes me take myself seriously when sometimes I don't, where I might think, oh, this is really fun. I'm going to make a plate, but no one will buy it. Um, and then suddenly if there's someone saying, we need 10 plates by this date, and you think, okay, well, if they want it, so I'll keep making plates and put, putting on my website and someone might buy a different style. So it's, um, yeah, it's. I feel like being a freelancer, artist slash designer I rely a lot on my clients and my the people that support me the most because they without realizing it they encourage me so much to keep going if I were just painting away by myself not knowing if the work was being enjoyed or not I think I'd end up on one path instead of seeing lots of different paths and growing and snowballing and having more chances to grow and develop and try new stuff (laughs) yeah I think it also is like a really kind of important encouraging side of your practice because you know if we're just kind of working on our own all day for the for the most part which you know I'm very grateful for that I don't think I could be someone who could work communally like in an office or in a team anymore but because that is such a kind of solitary thing when the person you're making the work for really loves what you've made it is such a it's it's a really nice kind of feeling of I don't know recognition and that you're kind of what what you're trying to convey what you're trying to get across in your work is being received or I don't know yeah received in the way that you hoped which is lovely but I think I guess the flip side of that is like not taking that kind of what I've kind of learned is not pinning my validation on how something's received online I more just try and focus on like, does the client like it? Are they happy with it? Because I think as soon as you start kind of placing too much meaning on whether you know a post has done well, if that means it's a good work, I think that's just a recipe for disaster. Yeah, I mean that's a really good point in itself. Of if you're working with a client, should you be making something to make them happy, or should you be authentic to you? And if a client suddenly says, okay, I want loads of pink sheep on flying through the sky, I know that that client is not a fit with me. (laughs) So there's a kind of, I find that, yeah, as an artist, you you must have it too. Where's the line of if you've got a bespoke project or a commission or something that someone has come to you because they like your style, but then they've got an idea of what they want you hope that it's kind of in your style, but you never know. Yeah. Well, I guess the hope is that they they know your style and they like your style and that's why they've come to you because they want something that is you, that's, that's your artwork. But I definitely still do have some inquiries sometimes, I guess, like through my agent for illustration where I'm like, why have you asked me to do this? It just like, doesn't sound like me at all. Um, and then I think on those projects, I just like maybe just, maybe I'm not as emotionally invested in them and then I just see them as like more financial based <laughs> one that you probably won't post about <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. um exactly 
So do you think you experienced a major turning point that uh, in your practice that shaped your style into what it is today? Um, it's so funny because I went at Christmas, I had one of my friend's um, engagement drinks and there were loads of my old school friends there and I hadn't seen them for a few years since being in Amsterdam. And they were saying, it's really weird because your style is exactly the same as when you were doing A-levels and we can tell that it's still you, <laughs> which I thought was really interesting because I'd spent seven years um, doing illustrations and graphics in Amsterdam for a fashion company. And then I'd purposely thought, okay, this is going to be my style. And I almost felt like I reinvented my style through things that I loved. Um, but yeah, to have old school friends saying, it's still you <laughs> was really, um, yeah, I liked hearing that. But when, when I was at school, we were taught to paint very realistically. So everything was, um, yeah, like hyper-realistic. And I think then working, because I then did illustration as a foundation at CSM and then graphics and uh, branding at Chelsea College of Art. So I then made a choice to go more contemporary and conceptual and with a slightly branding point of view from the graphics degree. So I think when I then made the step to go full-time art, I had enough experience to know I want to be an artist slash designer, but in one style. And for me, that was a point of, I can actually do this. And I know lots of other artists who are also designers where they can do prints for fabric and they can do a poster, but they can also sell their work in a gallery. Um, so that was a real turning point knowing, okay, I finally know what I want to do with all this experience and it's going to be straddling those two worlds. Yeah, I think it kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier about not pigeonholing yourself as well, not kind of just thinking of yourself as a one-dimensional being, like you, you can do whatever you want to do. Um, but yeah, you mentioned you mentioned a few times, I didn't really realise that you lived in Amsterdam. So what was that like, living, living and working in Amsterdam? Oh, I loved it. Um, that was just so... Yeah, so inspiring and so beautiful and just such a slow pace of life. Um, you could cycle from the east to the west in 15 minutes. And we had like one small group of friends that we hung out the whole time. Like, And then it grew to like maybe 40 of us. Um, but it was just really, really good fun. And I loved it. I'd say Amsterdam for the art world it's not great. It's a very relaxed, creative city, but in terms of galleries, networking, all of the bits of the art world that I find quite scary, um, it wasn't, it didn't really have it going for me. So that was part of to, to jump back to London as well, just because in, in terms of taking my career to the next step, I needed to be doing the right things, being at the right place, um, emailing the right people who had actually met me instead of seeing I lived in another country <laughs> so yeah it sounds amazing um so have you got any exciting projects coming up that you'd like to tell us about um well, a few potential ones but I'm waiting for contracts so I don't know if they're gonna pull if they're gonna come off or not but I'm hoping to do another thing with Martin Brunesky Brudinski this this year 
because I loved that project last year and there are a couple of email threads about potential things, but I don't want to get my hopes up. <laughs> and then some more bespoke work for um, Save Venice, as, as mentioned. And I think I might also be showing some work at Green and Stone again. So that'll be fun. Yeah, that'll be nice. So what was the project you did last year with Martin? I did. Um, he launched a new store called And Objects. and I've, Oh, your mural. And I also did the bespoke um illustrations for all their events for that for the event that evening of the private views so the cocktail menus and the invite invite to it so it was a full kind of package uh design project like branding and then also painting which was perfect that's like a dream do you have any fun things on the horizon any fun things well as i say i'm waiting to hear about that mural in Barcelona but I just feel like they're gonna just get a Spanish artist that they won't have to pay for their travel and accommodations <laughs> I don't really know why they would but then I guess it depends what the style they want actually but um so I'm waiting to hear about that and then oh you'll actually like this because you're saying how much you like them too is I'm illustrating an interior design book at the moment which is really exciting so cool what a different interiors can you tell more about um so I actually really couldn't believe it when he came through I was just like what is going on um it's an interior design book that people it's for tips that you will be able to apply in your own home basically so it's like not for interior designers it's for everyone um and it's like so illustrating the cover and then 100 illustrations inside which looks like a a huge project but I think with big projects like that it's not kind of thinking about it as a whole just thinking it one day at a time and yeah do, just doing a little bit every day and <laughs> seeing how we go um so that's kind of like my main focus at the moment yeah so good oh wow love it <laughs> thank you how particular are they about each illustration they are pretty relaxed with the illustration for the inside. They'll kind of say rough idea of like, oh, we want you to draw a light hanging over a chair or whatever. But then I can go and find my reference, own reference images and stuff like that. They're not like, they didn't send me a photo like, oh, copy this, which is just like a nightmare for creative, I think, in terms of when you're just copying a picture. Yeah, and they're not, because I, I found with the graphics stuff that often a client would be like, oh, we love this light, but can you make it blue or red, whatever? And if you physically done the illustration, where so many people do digital illustrations these days, then it's like, well, you have to start again, and it's like double the work, yeah. Um, yeah, that can be a nightmare. <laughs> um, but yes, I was kind of final question before we just go into our quick fire around at the end um looking back over your career what's been the work or project or anything really that you're the most proud of um god that's um that's quite a tricky question I'd say yeah I'd probably say three projects that I learned the most from um in Logical order. I did an egg <laughs> um, for the elephant family, who um, King Charles actually is one of the supporters for the elephant family because it's um, um, it's Mark Shand who is 
the what's it, queen consort um her late brother it was i never want to get the titles wrong for the royal family so that's why i was stuttering then um it's her late brother so the egg i was really really i love that project and the elephant family reached out to me and six other artists two years ago saying can you you've all got one decade celebrating the queen's jubilee do you mind doing and painting an egg in your style and it will be in the streets of London for everybody to try and find um and I based it on Fabergé and then Fabergé saw it in the street and asked to include it in a coronation event they were doing which oh for me was massive because it's very rare that you choose an inspiration and then that inspiration says hey we love it can we include it in this thing so that was really really cool um and I was just really proud of that project. That's so amazing. Even though it didn't pay me anything at all, apart from like 200 quid for materials, but because it's going to charity, that's fine. But I feel like a lot of people assume that I got thousands for my egg, but I didn't, <laughs> but I loved it. Um, so that's my number one. And then my number two is I designed some neon lights for Fra Frameless Gallery. Um, and if you go there, you can see them all in the cafe. And I love that because I've never done lighting. I've never done, let alone, I hadn't done huge installation work. So that was a real eye-opening experience. Um, and it's one of those ones where I just didn't have much on over the summer. So I said, yeah, okay, I'll do some sketches and install huge neon lights in your cafe. So that was really cool. And then lastly, um, the as I mentioned earlier, the work for Martin, just because I feel really in line with his color palettes and his approach to interiors of, he famously says, I want people to walk into a room and for them to say, okay, I'm gonna have a good time here. And that's his approach to interior design. And I think for me, that is very much in line with my work. I want them to, I want viewers to think I'm having fun or this person had fun when they made this artwork. So I loved working with him on the window mural and doing the lampshades in Copenhagen. <laughs> so yeah, those are my favorites. <laughs> yeah, I think it's so nice that like you were saying with Martin, when you do kind of find people, not necessarily artists, but who within the field where you your practice kind of comes together and you share an artistic vision. Like I have it with this the girl who makes my frames for my artwork. So I I went in with like a, a big collection that I'm working on at the moment to get them all framed, which I'm dreading the bill <laughs> coming from. But um you know when she's she has she's very adventurous with what kind of frames she wants to do and we love the same kind of colours and you know when you're just both kind of getting excited about how they're gonna look and whereas sometimes you go and the person just really doesn't get <laughs> get what you mean at all. Uh, but yeah, find finding those people that then you want to work with again and again is just a, such an amazing thing. Yeah, people have got the same eye <laughs> or the same speak the same language. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. For sure. Cool. Well, we'll just end with our quick fire questions. Um, best book you've read recently? Um, Grit. I really like the book Grit. I think it's by Angela. I can't remember who it's by, but really good book. Really recommend it. I don't really read loads of educational ones, but this one is really good. And it's about the are people born with talent or do you hone a skill that then makes you talented so it's it's the kind of barrier of 
hard hard work or talent I don't know yeah the barrier of success <laughs> interesting so what kind of which end of the spectrum is it is it leaning towards I haven't finished the book yet but it's kind of saying that loads of people are lots of people say oh well she's so like he's so talented or they're so and actually they may have just worked really hard to get there and that work has been a result of having grit and perseverance to push through and keep going and they refer in the book they refer to kind of um army statistics of some men or women who join the army will be predicted to complete the army but actually they may not do it because they may not complete because they don't have the grit so they drop out so the whole book is trying to figure out what is grit is it in your dna is it um something you learn is it through your experiences in life and how can you apply that to your everyday career or focus that sounds so interesting i'm definitely going to read that i i think i would agree with that because i i mean so this is not very quick fire around, is it? <laughs> but I um I I kind of think back to when I started. I guess may, it would maybe be five or six years ago now. Um, when I was like, okay, would like to be an illustrator. But I look back to that work then, I'm like, God, that was so hard. So I did. I don't think that people are innately talented. I I think maybe like you need like a a streak of it or something inside you that's kind of draws you to that and like your passion but I think I think it's majority just a lot of hard work and putting your 10,000 hours into becoming the master of your craft yeah isn't that a Japanese a Japanese saying that you need 10,000 hours to master yeah they they said the first time I heard that was when I was on my MA and the leader of the course said you need you you guys are just at the beginning of your process like if you think you're Basically, if you think your illustrations are now like you're sorely mistaken because you you have to put in your ten thousand hours, but then this this ten thousand hours thing kept popping up. It's obviously not just in art; it's whatever you do, you're a tennis player. Yeah. Um, but I do. Yeah, I think I. But then I. I don't think I'm anywhere near at the end. I would love in another five years to look back at where I am now and be like, oh, I've grown so so much since then. Um, but I do feel a lot more confident now than I did at the beginning because I definitely have put in my 10,000 hours. But it would be so interesting to know him how many hours you actually have put in. Yeah, like timesheet of how, how mastered are you <laughs> of the craft. I do think you can be a natural at something, but you can be a natural and then do nothing. So then you never get anywhere. So either way, you still need to work hard. Yeah, 100%. So yes, our final question is, why is living a creative life important to you? I, I never really had another option. <laughs> like it was just from, it's just a voice that I've had from as long as I can remember that I want to be an artist. And I was so, uh, yeah, I was dyslexic at school and I wasn't very good at maths or biology. But the one thing that I've always known is I am good at art and I love it. So like there's nothing I would do. And even when I was working doing graphic design, eventually I said, this isn't for me because I don't believe in fast fashion and that's the company I was working for. So yeah, it's just important in my, it's just in what I feel. <laughs> love that. Well, thank you so much. I've honestly loved, this has been one of my favourite conversations. I've really, really loved it. So thank you. I'm sorry if I was off at times. Like, I've... No, no. 
maybe it's better when we when we go off on those tangents. Yeah, well, I think the best the best things come from um, no, not too much direction and just going with the flow. And I think that can be applied to life, art, like so many areas of of the world that we're in. So, yeah, I loved your questions and I really enjoyed being on this podcast. It's, Thank you so much for having me. And also your work is so, so good. I'm a huge fan. Oh, thank you. Well, you know, you know I'm a fan of your work. Um, and I also want to watch your The Sky Landscape Artist of the Year. So please let me know when that's out. <laughs> I, so I think it's next Wednesday. I think it's the one next Wednesday because they had a giant pink octopus, like a blow up one in the landscape. And that was in the advert for next week. So I think I think it's next week, but honestly, we were watching it. My for about twenty minutes, my boyfriend was like paused with the camera, and then I was suddenly like, I don't think I'm in this episode. He must be so proud. That's like a huge achievement. Oh no, thanks. Yeah, no, it was, it was a really good day to be part of. It was like being a fan of the show. It was just really interesting to kind of see all the how it actually works like the, the process of how they run the day and stuff yeah i bet i would love to ask loads of questions about it but i don't want to take up i'll message you directly <laughs> yeah or maybe you can come on again as podcast on the podcast for the end of the season i'd love to have you on maybe, maybe like in a year and we can see like what project with you yeah see if we've got twenty thousand hours of work done or something <laughs> but if let me know. I'd love to visit. Love for you to visit the studio. Oh, that would be lovely. I will take you up on that. My love a studio visit. <laughs> cool. Well, have a lovely rest of your day. Oh, you too. Thanks, Georgie. You can find out more about Sasha's work by finding her on Instagram at sashacompton underscore design, and you can find me at Georgie Stewart Illustration or follow the podcast at creativerituals.pod. It is so lovely to be back and I can't wait to share more about the work and artist routines of this season's guests over the next few months. Thank you for listening to Creative Rituals.